0: Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Jason, can a podcast about
1: finance be entertaining? Not without alcohol. Well, all right, let's mix it up.
0: Hey, Caleb. Welcome to the podcast today.
1: Yes. And to all of our listeners, also welcome to the podcast today.
0: I am so glad that you all came. Today we're going to talk to you about finance and cocktails in a way that is hopefully entertaining and educational.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> Jason, it is uh, It's kind of dreary out. It's October. We're in full-blown October. Rainy and cold and dark and
0: stormy. Wait, dark and stormy, That's Caleb? That's the name of this drink. <laughs> Yes, we are mixing up some dark and stormies today while we talk about...
1: (laughs) Finance! (laughs) Don't spoil the surprise,
0: Jason. (laughs) Yes, but more specifically, we are talking about retirement. Rum time. We are are having rum (laughs) and talking about retirement today. Some
1: of us have been having rum longer than (laughs) others of us today. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. Yes. But today is one of our Retirement Rum Time episodes. It's rum-tirement as I have tried to make catch on. It's, it's Retirement just, it's, Rum Time. It's just not catching on. Um, so I'm excited to talk about retirement. These episodes seem to uh, pique a lot of interest. Yeah. When I look at
1: the numbers, they do roll good. They, m- they do roll well. Much
0: better than other episodes. Yeah.
1: Retirement Rum Time. I think a lot of people who are uh, interested in the wonderful world of finance are thinking about retirement as an end to the means. So maybe an end to the means?
0: Yeah, the it's, that's the why they work. That's the right. End. So what
1: I'm saying is retirement runtime seems to be these seem to be highly downloaded episodes.
0: More highly downloaded than others. <laughs> I mean it, it's relative, I suppose. But yeah, I think it's probably because retirement is why we're doing this. It's, yeah. We, we want to be able to be free. And depending on your de- definition of retirement, which it varies, mm-hmm. if you really define it as financial independence, then it makes a lot of sense. You're doing okay. all this work so that you have freedom yes. so you can work when you want, where you want, on what you want, for doing what you, you want, want, for whom you want. Who? It's whom.
1: You're right. No, you're right. I'm usually the grammar police. You are 100% correct. We are talking about a rum-based drink, which is kind of weird in October. Uh, we almost totally jumped the gun and went to a super fall drink, but stay yeah. tuned next week. We, we sampled this one.
0: We did not put <laughs> pumpkin on our rum. No pumpkin
1: in this one. But next week, I'm not saying pumpkin. It's going to be very fallish. so... Uh, this could kind of be a summary drink, but it is kind of uh, it, it's it's darker than the typical rum drink, so it could. Be. Would you
0: also say it's stormy? Yes,
1: it's dark. It's a dark and stormy. We're drinking dark and stormy today. Let's talk about our drink. So, if you have been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you might remember a uh, a mule episode. We uh, that was the budgeting episode, which is highly recommended. When we talk about downloads, not hugely downloaded, because budgets are boring, but necessary. (laughs) We talked about cocktails on a budget. We talked about mules, the most famous being a Moscow mule. Uh, We had, let's see, Kentucky mules. Mm -hmm. We had Mexican mules. Yes. And we had the gin, gin buck, which is a gin mule. Indeed. Somehow, Jason, we left out the Dark and Stormy, which is essentially a rum mule. A Um, dark rum mule. A dark rum mule. Yes, absolutely. So if you're listening at home, mixing up a drink, this is pretty easy and pretty budget friendly. So you're going to want two ounces of dark rum, three ounces of ginger beer. We've tried a couple variations today and always going to go back to Q brand. You can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, A half an ounce of lime juice. Lots of ice. And if you can find one this late in the season, a non-furry <laughs> lime wedge that you might have lying around. Yes, that's right. All of our fruit are growing fur right now. Uh, <laughs> limes are not uh, in season.
0: Well, yes. And we ha- it's been a while since we have a summery drink around here. I think we've been leaning hard into the Manhattan and old-fashioned realm lately. Uh, so our limes and lemons got a little lonely. And oranges. Yes, and and uh, grew a little they fur. Grew, they grew some friends. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great if you're trying to fight off a bacterial infection. Just in time. But not great. If it's you're bacterial to a infection drink. season, Jason. <laughs> 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 it sure is. And viral infection season. Yeah.
1: So let's, uh, let's talk about this dark and stormy that we're drinking here, Jason. I, I think I was a little bit surprised when I looked up the dark and stormy that it's basically just a rum, a dark rum mule. Yeah. But- what are your thoughts? We knew what it was going into it. How did it meet your expectations?
0: I have to say, it tastes like I thought it would. Little rum, mm-hmm. the ginger beer overpowering it with its awesome spiciness. Yes, I just thought it would be darker.
1: I know. I you know you see a lot of pictures of these dark and stormies, and we used multiple ginger, ginger beers. beers. Yeah, and we used a pretty standard dark rum. Uh, I don't. They all look darker. <laughs> All the pictures look darker online. This kind of looks like a apple cidery kind of color, or apple
0: juice. Like apple it's, juice, it's really maybe, light yeah. and cloudy. It's like
1: it's light and cloudy. It's not dark, <laughs> dark and stormy. You're right. That's great.
0: I wonder if we would have put the ginger beer in first and then no, added the darker no, dark rum. We stirred it up because the pictures that I saw online. If you Google a dark and stormy, it really looks like it's like it's layered, like Kahlua mixing with something lighter.
1: Yeah, they look really really cool. I think that those pictures might be just Coca-Cola. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did we make a dark and stormy wrong? Should we have used uh, Coca-Cola?
1: And, yeah. Dark and rum and coke?
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. That's just a rum and coke then.
1: Anyway, pretty good. I I guess I'm just a, if you find that really special ginger beer, if you like ginger beer, find the one that you like and mix basically any spirit and you've got a good cocktail. Again, you know, what do we have in this one? I I forget the name of it. It's a really sweet honey kind of flavored ginger beer, and it's not great. (laughs) The the Q brand is really, really excellent. It's got that agave and even chili Mm -hmm. pepper spice in it. Yes. Yeah, so out of the variations we've tried here today... Q brand is my go to as far as ginger beer goes. Uh, that
0: is unchanged for me, also. There have been other good brands. If you can find Fever Tree, it's, mm-hmm. I think, more readily available than Q. I didn't
1: use it because it's very light. Well, filler. I'm not
0: mad. I just wanted it to be darker.
1: I agree. I wanted it to look pretty.
0: <laughs> and this Australian ginger beer we used, beer. Really? <laughs> have you seen that Simpsons episode? Which one? The Mar- well, they go? Where I they know, go? To- you've
1: watched thirty seasons of The Simpsons. Well, like this is
0: in the this is in you. the first ten seasons. Basically, Bart Crank calls our, Australia to see if their toilets run the other way around, and the kid <laughs> he calls Collect, and the kid runs because they're poor. He has to run miles away to flush a toilet and report back to Bart. <laughs> so he racks up. Why is these- he poor? Because he lives in the outback? I don't know. Australia's That's not-, not
1: a poor nation. They don't even have recessions anymore, Jason.
0: Well. In the 90s, things were different, Caleb, and this kid had to run to an adjacent farm that was miles away, and he ran back and basically racked up thousands of dollars of collect phone (laughs) dollar fees, which we also don't have really anymore.
1: Do you remember Collect Calls?
0: Yeah. Remember that commercial?
1: Yeah. Bob, we out of Baby Eats a Boy. (laughs) I. We do not accept charges. I lived about 12 miles from the school. My dad was a farmer. When I needed picked up from basketball practice, I would go to the payphone in the school lobby, and I would call my dad, collect. (laughs) And uh, when it asked my name, I would say, Dad, pick me up. And then 15 minutes later, dad would come to the school and pick (laughs) me up after declining the charges. (laughs) It was a
0: great way to game the system. If you don't understand that, we're sorry. <laughs> don't listen. You don't need to listen to this show anymore. <laughs> yeah, anyway, the Simpsons went to Australia to defend Bart's honor, and he had to get kicked in the butt. That was the penalty uh, by Australia. So that, that's it. But there's a scene where Marge is ordering a water. No, no, a coffee from the bar. And she's like, I'll have a coffee. And he's like, beer? <laughs> she goes, coffee. And he goes, Beah? Beer? And then she goes coffee, and he goes beer. <laughs> and then she goes co, and he goes ba. <laughs> it's hilarious. Anyway, Australians love beer. That's the point. Foster's is Australian. That's right.
1: Beer. We're way off track. Uh, um, ginger beer. Ginger beer is is great. Like I I think going back to the mule episode though, if you can't find a ginger beer that you like, if it doesn't tickle your fancy, you could use ginger ale. I think actually,
0: it's that a lot sweeter. Yeah. And, it, and it's a lot easier to find some Verner's. Yeah, some Verner's, Some Ale 81s.
1: Ale 8. <laughs> Ale 8-1. Yeah. That, that would probably, gosh, we should have tried that.
0: We should have.
1: I think going with the dark rum, that might have been a nice, uh, it might have been too sweet. I don't know. Anyway, ginger beer is good stuff. I think you can mix it with any spirit and you'll be all right squirt a little lime juice not lemon juice right Jason
0: yeah I accidentally put I passed Caleb lemon juice in our office bar and he just put it in there because he trusted me like a fool
1: it came out my nose
0: yeah it was not a good taste so don't put lime juice don't put lemon juice in (laughs) put lime juice in Uh, but now that we've drunk of these dark and stormies Caleb Uh and we are feeling loosened up (laughs) I think it's a good time to talk about our finance topic of the day
1: This is a retirement runtime episode where generally we talk about some things to watch out for or prepare for in retirement or in preparation for retirement. We kind of touched on today's topic just a little bit in our lies financial advisors tell uh, episode, which in all fairness, and, and we disclose this in the episode, it's not necessarily an outright lie that a financial advisor might tell you, but it might be something that's generally accepted as truth that right. is propagated. You know, History is not on, that, on, on, on their side, I guess. Uh, it, it doesn't hold up. We'll put it that way. So what we're talking about today is allocation in retirement and why your risk tolerance doesn't matter.
0: That's right, Caleb. This is the episode where we tell you that your feelings don't count Your emotions have no place in your asset allocation. I mean,
1: we tell each other this every day. Well, that's (laughs) fine, Jason, but your emotions count for nothing.
0: (laughs) That's right. I love you,
1: but your feelings
0: are meaningless. Here's
1: the truth. I don't care how you feel about this. (laughs) This is the truth. So this is going to be one of those episodes.
0: In all honesty, it might not really be that harsh, but in this instance, we are looking at the math and the probabilities of success in basically not running out of money in your retirement yeah, and going against the prevailing notions that you should get more conservative as you get closer to retirement.
1: Yeah, Jason, I think if we're going to hurt people's feelings today at least we should back it up with math right
0: we should use a little i think we should have i think our opinions are great don't get me wrong
1: oh i love our opinions. I,
0: I think that though our listeners will appreciate if we back that up with a little bit of reason a little bit of facts if you will some statistics let's put some math behind some it. pluses and some minuses some decimal points for good measure some You can stop right there. Thank you. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Okay. So uh, we're going to talk about some general accepted practices, I guess, when it comes to your allocation in retirement or when you're approaching retirement. We're talking old school here, right? Uh, Things that are true because they've always been that way. Well, they're not that way anymore, folks. Jason... Makes sense of what I just said.
0: (laughs) It's true. So let's go right into our first point, which is traditionally it has been accepted that as you get closer to retirement, you need to take risk off the table because you don't have a long time horizon anymore to make up for any losses. So one of those standard rules of thumb (laughs) is that you take 100 minus your age and that's how much equity exposure you should have. Okay. So let's just say you're 50 years... That's so easy. You're 50 years old. 100 minus 50 means 50% of your portfolio should be in equities. And then the other 50% should be in fixed income.
1: Yeah. Boring.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> That's the safe side of the portfolio. So let's just say that you're a little bit older. You're 70 years old. That mm-hmm. means... 30% of your portfolio should be in stocks, and the other 70 should be in fixed income. So you see there where this is going. As yeah. you get closer to 100 years old, you'll have 100% of your portfolio in fixed income or safe assets. And that has been the guide, the gospel of asset allocation for a really long time. Yeah. But what's wrong with that, Caleb?
1: Well, it, it's worked for a long time until, I don't know, Twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. I'm thinking like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Something something big important happened. Yeah. took place. Uh there was a collapse. There was a great recession, if you will. Interest rates plummeted to zero. Stock prices were cut in half. Four oh one Ks became two oh one Ks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and it, it's been a brave new world ever since then, really hasn't it?
0: That's right. We've we've not experienced interest-bearing accounts. Uh, I know a lot of folks that have had accounts in the late '70s, the '80s, the '90s, certificates of deposit, CDs, um, exactly, <laughs> bonds that have a good interest rate. Uh-huh. I mean, had
1: or or close to historical averages at least. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's hard to say this historical average bit after having 15 years of horrendous interest rates.
1: Yeah, let's, I mean, let's just call it what it is, our entire careers.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, we haven't been doing this for 40 years, but in our careers here, it's been, it's, They've just been abysmal interest rates. You point nothing is what we say you get on a CD. Point nothing is what you get on a savings account.
1: But what's funny is uh, when you're preparing for this career, you're still hearing some of these old school rules that really don't apply anymore. And history would say won't apply for another 10 or 15 years beyond now.
0: Yeah, the, the interest So the rate, rest
1: of our working career, Jason.
0: Um, yeah, I hope. Knock on wood. Our whole
1: career, this could be a moot point. This could yeah. be a total fallacy. We
0: could be the generation of financial planners that does not have to worry our count on. Actually, it's a disadvantage in a lot of well, ways. Well, yeah,
1: no, it's not fun. Yeah, uh, we,
0: we can't count on guaranteed interest rates. Right.
1: Let's let's talk about some of those averages while we're at it, Jason. I think
0: that's, that's a really better. good idea. That, I I wanted to just reiterate our first point is basically this 100 minus your age theory doesn't work anymore because fixed income stinks.
1: Yeah, th- this idea is uh based on on averages. I'm okay with that. I've always said averages are averages for a reason. So you kind of plan for average, right? Let's go back to 1925. And uh We're going to look at some of the average returns that different asset classes have had um, over the years. So stocks, on average, have returned 10.2% going back to 1925. Jason, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, we'll take that. We sure
1: will. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Just out of curiosity, what do you think bonds have returned since 1925? And uh, we'll talk like corporate bonds, right? Okay. Okay, corporate bonds. What do you think the average... So I don't know. 25. I have not done any research but that's almost 100 years mind you. Uh 6 to 8 maybe? Oh okay. So you're you're real close. 6.1% on corporate bonds. Treasuries. So we're talking like basically no risk, right? Right. Government issued securities backed by the
0: full faith
1: of the United States government.
0: The best country that ever existed and I think that's a fact. Yeah. Right?
1: I yes. What do you think the average return on uh on treasuries over the last you know ninety five years? Four? Five point two. Whoa. Wow That's awesome. Yeah. I would
0: like that would be great
1: right now. It'd be fantastic. And I, I think inflation, we're used to low or no inflation lately, but uh inflation over that same amount of time has averaged two point nine percent. Sure. I think that makes sense i I think uh, we've all heard you know the Fed talking about inflation returning to normal three percent you know when we first uh, the first financial planning software I saw was um, MoneyGuide Guide Pro I think and they they had built in three percent inflation. Well we haven't been there yet recently we could argue uh, inflation rates, but uh, those are the averages since nineteen twenty five so Jason, if you had a stock portfolio when you were approaching retirement age and mostly had bonds, but you were still averaging 6.1% in that bond portfolio. And then you had stocks averaging 10.2. You're doing pretty well, right?
0: Yeah. It seems like a decent balance.
1: I, I mean, let's think about this. What kind of withdrawals could we take from those portfolios in retirement? Well, I think a 5% return or a 5% withdrawal rate is mm-hmm. pretty safe, right? Uh,
0: very safe if you're averaging higher than that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Our, our industry has kind of been <laughs> built on that 60-40 stock to bond portfolio with a 5% mm-hmm. withdrawal rate. Well, let me tell you, folks, that ain't happening anymore, and it hasn't for 15 years plus. This idea of, you know, and, and again, if you go to college and you take portfolio management classes and you, you, mm. you, you study modern portfolio theory, yeah, you're, you're going to hear this. Why does that mm-hmm. not work anymore, Jason? Let's take a look at what these, uh, these asset classes are returning today. Mm. I, and I just want your opinion here. Stocks. We're we're probably still around that ten point two.
0: Yeah, maybe a skosh higher.
1: Maybe a little bit, right? Yeah. Bonds. Uh, you show me a corporate bond earning six point one percent.
0: No, they're so much lower. The only corporate bonds you can get that high are really risky companies that really need you to lend them money.
1: Yeah, there's and, and there's something called junk bonds. Yes. Right. Um. And then there's something I call trash bonds. <laughs> That's not a real asset class, but that's... Uh, What's
0: the difference between junk and trash?
1: I don't know. I think you'd need trash bonds to get 6.1% at this point in time. <laughs> You're probably not getting your money back.
0: It seems like like this is a totally useless thought exercise, but let's break down your analogy. Junk mm-hmm. brings connotations to my mind of scrap metal.
1: Yeah. Something that's still somewhat Uh, of you can
0: maybe salvage it. You can, you know, melt it down for use in other things. When you say trash, I think of no value, like the cheese stuck to my McDonald's Big Mac wrapper. Yeah, I think of well, I'm not going to go into it. More disgusting things like that, like just worthless stuff. The point. What you're saying.
1: The point being, to find a corporate bond paying 6.1, I would probably run from that.
0: Yeah, well, it can't be high quality. That's for sure. It's so, going to be rated lowly. Let's talk about treasuries, Jason. What about treasuries?
1: What are treasuries paying right now? Uh, let's let and in fact, let's narrow that down a little bit more. If you give the government the United States the United of America United government, States government money for ten years, what kind of return can you expect from a treasury? A 10-year treasury note.
0: Well, boy, I'd hope I'd get a pretty good return right now. I'd hope it'd be close to that 5% that we had historically. Mm, Try lower. 4% Caleb? No, not for the last 15 years. Surely I can get 3%. Well,
1: you know what? We had just about a two or three month period where we could uh, about three years ago, but no...
0: Okay, well, surely I can balance out my fifteen-year mortgage with a two and a half percent.
1: I don't think so. The bank's got to make money somehow, Jason.
0: Oh, that horrible spread—two percent?
1: No, keep going. One
0: point eight percent? Ha! One and a half percent?
1: You're getting close, Jason. Uh, so I think we've we've beat this dead horse. Um, <laughs> Treasuries are paying squat. That is
0: borrowing um, from the most solvent institution in the world.
1: And you know, sometimes I think the only thing holding that up is that other countries are paying less.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Right. So when we get to a certain point, um, when our interest rates do start to pick up a little bit, we see money flooding in from all over the world and it drives that yield back down. Mm-hmm. Folks, we, we've been in a low, low rate environment for a long time, but this is purely speculation and opinion. I think we're going to be there for quite a
0: long time. You know, there's a lot of evidence that we probably will be. Even though there's inflation uh, right now, and we haven't had that in a really long time. You gave, gave some CPI numbers, which is the Consumer Price Index. Well, and I think we're going to get into that some more. But there's a little bit of hope for higher rates. Yeah, but, but it th- really seems similar to the late 70s. With all the data that we have, that we've got inflation, but not the the usual economic expansion that goes along with it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I I I think the way I look at this is the rest of the world's got to come along if our rates are going to go up, which I don't see happening. This is a more global economy than we've ever seen before, right? right? So yeah. when you've got countries issuing ten-year bonds at negative interest rates, folks. What does that mean? You're willing to hand over your gov- your money to the government for 10 years to say, I'm willing to only lose this much.
0: Yeah. Guaranteed to yeah. lose that much when yeah. you redeem your bond. That's what that means when people have when when countries have negative interest rates.
1: This is not an economic commentary. OK, what we're trying to get across here is, look, fixed income is not what it used to be. No. Corporate bonds and treasuries, uh you're just you, you can't put it on cruise control and expect 5 to 6% returns here anymore.
0: No, and we will spend in our profession all the people that are much smarter than us, the the bond guys, which is most of them. But <laughs> the bond <laughs> analysts are are historically they're usually looked up to yeah. by financial analysts uh as the smartest guys in the room. They are maneuvering and Researching and making changes and predictions, and like jumping all over each other to eke out mm-hmm. another three hundredths of a percent over right. a different strategy. Right. Like, in, and in the long term, how much does that impact your portfolio?
1: Well, Jason, if inflation is 3%, um, we're just talking about how much money we can safely, quote unquote, lose on an annual basis here, really, aren't we?
0: Right. You're like, how much can I guarantee myself to lose and be able to predict it?
1: Yeah. So think about it this way. We see negative interest rates in other countries and people laugh at that and they say, why would anybody take out a bond mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's guaranteeing a negative interest rate? I don't know. Joe Consumer? Why do you go to your bank and sign up for another two-year 0.5% CD when mm-hmm. inflation is hovering around two and a half to three percent? All you're doing is locking in a negative two percent for the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, and we see folks do it all the time because the answer
1: is because your checking and savings is nothing, so you <laughs> might as well get something back, right? Right. Um. But again, you know, corporate bonds are not the answer. So where are we looking to get that return, Jason? Well, our portfolios have been heavier in stocks than probably they've ever been.
0: That's right. right. You you have to go into equities, especially in an inflationary environment, especially when there's no return on bonds. Right. Uh, what are you going to do? You're going to abandon the quote unquote safe asset class, and you're going to go towards the one that can actually make you some money.
1: Yeah, because at the end of the day, when we're talking about retirement and income needs, uh, your 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 needs for income, your your Bills, your debts, and things like that that you you owe, or mm-hmm. you know, income that you your house your your household needs income, and you probably need the same whether interest rates are are higher or lower, right? So, uh, let's say you need six thousand dollars a month to uh, to keep the lights on at home, and interest rates plummet. Well, you still need six thousand dollars a month, so you're not going to find it in treasuries. You're not going to find it in bonds. The idea is you have to take more risk to get same returns Mm -hmm. uh, that you're used to, right? Right. So this old idea of getting more conservative as you get closer to retirement, you can see how this blows up.
0: Absolutely. As you keep moving money from your equity side to fixed income, you stop your earning potential essentially right now. You move it to zero and you might as well be putting that money in cash or CDs. Yeah. So
1: this is where where it gets really challenging because we talk to folks at the you know, for the most part we're talking to folks as they are approaching retirement or are retiring. You know, I joke around all the time with with folks and say, "Look, you've done the hard work. It's my job to not screw this up." <laughs> right? Because most of the time when I'm introduced to a client, it's when they're making these decisions. "I am going to be retiring or I am retiring. How do we do this?" Right? The way that I look at this is, okay, so We've got to take income, right? We we can look at the old rules of thumb, and I think that if we have this this works against folks, but it can work for folks in some regards too. So years ago, it used to be a bad idea to not rebalance your portfolio. You know, let's say that you had a four hundred one k and you were all in stocks and you never touched it, and then you get to retirement age, and you still got all these stocks, and you're in a super aggressive and risky portfolio. How can that go south? Let's say there's a big pullback in the markets you're down 30% and then you decide to retire, right? Talk to anybody mm-hmm. who thought about retiring in 07, 08, 09, right? right. They'll, they'll tell you the story. This day and age though, you can look at it a little bit differently. Well, if you didn't allocate out of those, you know, out of stocks and into bonds and things like that, you actually had a chance to make some money.
0: right?
1: So while we're for rebalancing and all that kind of stuff, the traditional way of doing things, I think that clients focus on it this way that I'm, I'm planning for retirement. I'm planning for a day when I'm going to go in and say, I'm done. Thanks for the paycheck. Thanks for the career. I'm, I'm calling it. Right. And as you build up to that day, you get closer and closer to fixed and cash and, and, and cashing out. Right. Right. So, Jason, if you have a let, let's let's keep the math simple. Let's say you got a five hundred thousand dollar 401k, a nice little nest egg built up and you go to retire right? And, and you've gotten more conservative as you've gotten closer to retirement. Let's just say today's the day. Now you've got basically $500,000 in fixed or short-term assets. But you need $50,000 a year to retire off of. At today's interest rates, at today's bond returns and treasury rates, how long are you going to be
0: retired? In 10 years you will be able to take income out of that account.
1: Right. So this is a really long way of saying, when you think about retiring, how long do you plan on being retired?
0: Yeah, and people are living longer. Our healthcare has gotten better, even though it's confusing,
1: and it should continue to progress.
0: That that's how it's gone so far. <laughs> we we keep getting better at keeping people alive, uh-huh. and you know your people's retirements are lasting longer and longer. I I saw a futurist talk. Uh, actually, he's the head of one of the largest registered investment advisors in the country. But basically, he said, "Don't put me on the spot." I can't remember his name. <laughs> In uh, Advisor Engines, Edelman, mm. Rick oh, Edel- Edelman, oh, that's okay. who
1: it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ad- he- Edelman?
0: Edelman, E-D-E-L-M, All right. and Rick Edelman. And he said, if financial advisors are only planning for your lifespan to end at 90, uh-huh. they are committing malpractice because he thought the average lifespan was going to be 150 Wow. By For people that are not yet retired. Hey, which- I,
1: I need to make a blanket disclosure to all of my clients right now. If you're listening and you're planning to 150, we're... Screwed.
0: Yeah, I do not. <laughs> I do not have that in my allocations. I don't believe that uh, physicians and science are going to cure death in our lifetime. No. And that was basically his premise. But the idea is that we are living longer. Yes. Retirement is longer than it has ever been. I know that you talked a little bit about the industrial age and yeah, uh, retirement as a as a, a, a construct for Jason, society back then.
1: Today, a sixty-five-year-old male retiring is expected to live eighteen point one years in, in retirement.
0: Wow, that's so specific.
1: Well, I've I've read, I read, My and a female goodness. same age is expected uh, twenty plus. It's not quite twenty one, but twenty plus. Right. right. So again, we're talking about planning to retirement age and not through retirement. I know it's cliche. I know I say it a lot, but I, I ask folks all the time, "Hey, are we planning to retirement or through retirement? Because if we're planning to, congratulations, we're done. Right. But if we're planning through." You probably got some work to do.
0: There's some life left to be lived.
1: Yeah. And it's gotten a lot more challenging. So, you know, you you joked earlier about, you know, our entire career. Right. Uh, Maybe maybe it's a little easier now because we can just say, oh, you should have all stocks. But I'd say it's a little bit more challenging to generate income.
0: Well, we can't. We've lost most guarantees. Yeah. And uh, unless you find them in the form of uh, an annuity of some sort. (laughs) Annuity. (laughs) Can I interest you in this? annuity uh no don't do that that sounded real nice just so you know well I think we would if we sold our souls (laughs) and abandoned all conscience I think we'd be great annuity salesmen
1: and and let's let's for just a second talk about that why the insurance companies are doing great right now why annuities are selling so well is because they're guaranteeing let's call it a 5% lifetime withdrawal right now and you Mm -hmm. look at the numbers and you go well heck Ten-year treasuries are paying 1.3, 1.5, somewhere in that range. Bonds are returning, I don't know, this year, negative. How in the world can you go out and guarantee 5%? That's why they're selling off the shelves, Jason. Yeah. But how can they guarantee 5%?
0: Because the market historically returns that. What market? The stock market. Bingo. And they are investing your money. And taking the risk, it's and we've talked about annuities. It's a transfer of risk. Yeah, you're sending it over to them. They're using using actuarial calculations to make sure that they don't lose, and in the long term, they're not going to. So our our advice usually is that you just take that risk. Be invested in equities because you probably have a longer time horizon than three years when you retire. Like you just said, you got 18 to 20 something years before you die on average. And
1: that will probably extend
0: out. And it, it should keep going up yeah. uh, based on our modern health care. I, I tell folks that are like, well, I'm about to retire in a couple of years. Should I get more conservative? I'm like, well, are you going to take all of your money out when you retire and just put it in your pocket? How many people have said yes? Zero. Right. Because they're like, no, I need this money to live on. I was like, well, we can move a portion of it to something more secure but the bulk of it needs to keep growing because you plan on continuing to live. And we've got all sorts of other goals to fund. You want to give money to organizations and charities and your family and that sort of thing. So it's the responsible thing to do is to try to grow the money. But since fixed income rates being bonds, you know, CDs, bank rates, interest rates are low, uh, we don't have that same kind of lever that maybe we used to have to outpace inflation. So it is a little riskier. It is a little scarier, but it's still the most prudent thing to do if you've got more than a five year time horizon.
1: Yeah, I I've always said before, if you give me five years, we'll be all right.
0: Yeah, on average that works out.
1: I think in some cases though, it's almost like, hey, if we got three years, then I'm I'm comfortable in investing. And and, and there's a reason why I look at that. You know, if we need money in the next one, two, three years, anything can happen in the markets. So yeah, I, I've got in front of me some charts, and I, I honestly, I can't remember where I pulled this off of, but it shows one-year rolling returns of, of different uh, market indexes and things of that nature. First of all, the common theme, I've I pulled numbers from one year, three year, five years, ten years. The common theme is that the upside is highest with stocks. No surprise. That's right. The downside is also highest with stocks, but the common theme here is that the longer the time horizon, the more the percentage of a positive situation. Absolutely. Becomes. So in a one-year rolling period, we can make a lot of money. You know, the best, <laughs> let's see, looking at the S&P 500, which is what most most people will look at, and gosh, I don't know when this one-year rolling period was, Jason, but darn near 100% return in, in one-year time. All right. That sounds like probably the 40s sometime. But also on the flip side, you've got you know a the worst one year period being somewhere around. I'm sorry, that was the Russell, the Russell 2000. Okay,
0: so smaller, more risky companies,
1: and that makes more sense. So looking at the S and P 500, you know, looking at like a 61 percent return being the best positive year somewhere in that range. But also, you know, the chance of of losing near 40 percent in one year, uh, you know, in a one year period. So if I've got a client who comes to me with a hundred thousand dollars in their savings account and they just—it's driving them crazy that they're earning nothing. But I'm going to put a down payment on a house in a year. What do I do, Jason? As much as it pains me to say it, we keep it in that stupid savings account, earning nothing, don't we?
0: That's right. It's not worth risking it.
1: Well, let's look at a three-year period, though. Okay, so you know the best three-year rolling period in a S in and P 500 in, in the index or a fund that mirrors the index. Um, you'd be looking at uh, north of 30%, you know, 33, 34%, something like that. And uh, a worst-case scenario downside over three years of, let's call it 16, 17%. Okay, that's not good. Nobody's happy about that. Uh, But I I think we can sum with that a a little bit more than we could 42%, something like that, right? Yeah. So I I feel like if we've got a three- to five-year time horizon, I'm just looking at the numbers and saying averages are average for a reason. Uh, We'll average out over time. We get out to five years, Jason, we've got about an 80% chance to make money in the S&P 500. Now, I know people that go to the casino and play a lot worse odds than 80%, don't you?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think the casinos would be in business if there were better odds than 80%.
1: So even with the S P 500 over a five-year rolling period it looks like the worst period being around six and a half seven percent, something like that. Again, nobody's real happy if we've invested money for five years, and we're down six and a half seven percent. But realize, going back to what you said, we're not taking all of our money out in retirement, right? So yes, right. we put some aside for the next couple of years' worth of withdrawals to weather the storm. We let the uh, stock portion of the investments do their thing they're going to go up, down, sideways, I guarantee all three, right? But that <laughs> yes, works out will. in our favor over the long term. So, Jason, you get out to a 10-year rolling return on the S&P 500 and it's almost bulletproof. I say almost because there's always a chance, but it almost never happens. So, this is what we're looking at, folks, and we're talking about how to invest your funds just because you're retiring. Let's say you've got a million dollars when you retire. Should you be 100% in in CDs or savings or, you know, government bonds? Heck no. Mm -hmm. If anything, that's a safe way to lock in losses. That's a safe way to take away your purchasing power and your, your income generation over the next 10 years, right? Right. So the volatility is your friend it'd be a different story honestly quite honestly if we were sitting here talking about bond returns of 6%. I think we can live with that. I think we can generate in, uh, income off of that pretty easily. But when we're talking about bond returns of flat or 1% or maybe 2 if we're lucky with an inflation rate and that's yeah. just the purchasing power being eaten up by, you know, 2 to 3% a year and let's let's call it what it is, Jason. There's 30 some percent more money floating around now than there was this time last year if if you don't think inflation is a thing think again so it is eating up your purchasing power you lock into bonds treasuries fixed annuities right these things that are all returning around 0 to 2% somewhere in that range you're safely losing purchasing power
0: that's right it's 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 a weird time because of we've we've got inflation eating away your purchasing power and then really low fixed interest on our fixed rates for bonds and cash and all that it really makes you think is it the best thing to be in yeah and this whole point is to say that it's probably not if your investment time horizon is longer than five years you really got to consider if you should be in those things at all Um, it depends on what your expenses are but if you're not going to take money out of the bulk of your investments for five years stocks is where it's at equities perform better in these scenarios
1: i I want to Kind of play out a scenario here. I'm 36 years old, Jason. Let's say I come to you with a a rollover and uh, I'm 36 years old. I want to know how to invest this. And I would say, well, I looked, you know, I I researched a little bit and the internet says that I should have 64% in Mm -hmm. stocks and 36% in bonds. What do you think of that?
0: I think that is hooey.
1: Why the heck would a 36-year-old have over 35% of their portfolio in bonds?
0: Well, in nowadays environment, just as you have explained really well, it's a, it's bad. There's no return in those bonds. It's
1: because that's what we's, we've always done, right? Is right. Is that what it boils down to? Because I think it's so. When you, when, before?
0: when you talk to folks, they do always talk about the 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds, as like the... Standard portfolio. It's like that's where every all of our estimates are based off of. And and right now with all the evidence that you gave, it just that's not gonna do it. That's not gonna cut it. You need way more money than you did before to live off of that. Why
1: would you want forty percent of your portfolio not working for you?
0: Yeah, just doing nothing. And we haven't even talked about the volatility of the bonds with the with the price changes. So the bonds are supposed to take volatility out of a portfolio right. when the price is changing day to day by large chunks, I mean, because a small change in a bond that's yielding barely anything right. is a is still a it's a, it's a volatile change. Yeah. Um you we we're seeing price changes on bonds go way up and down like like, 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 we're not used to like anything. Remember, a bond
1: is only worth what somebody will give you for it, right. right? Yeah, so take that out one step, okay? And this is the way that I'm looking at this a 36 year old, let's say, in my position, holding 36% in bonds. Why doesn't this make sense? I don't know. Interest rates are squat. We've talked about that. One thing that I don't think folks realize is how bonds react to interest rates, okay? Mm-hmm. So let, let's just I don't know if we've done this on the podcast before or not, Jason, but let's just say, let's just say I started a new business, okay? And I'm offering $10,000 bonds for 2%, right? You might look at that and say, hey, a 10-year bond at 2%, well, the bank's not paying me anything, so I'm going to give Caleb $10,000. He's going to give me 2% for the next 10 years. Right. Fantastic, right? Okay. So let's say interest rates go up. Why might interest rates go up? I don't know. Inflation is creeping in. How does the Fed usually take care of or try to, we'll, we'll, we'll say, quote unquote, take care <laughs> of inflation? Um, typically, they'll raise interest rates, right? Make it less easy to borrow and access money. Um, that's what we've always done. So let's say an inflation is creeping in like it is right now and the Fed raised interest rates and uh Joe down the street opens a business and because interest rates are higher, he's got to offer 3% for his same 10-year bond, Mm -hmm. right? And you go, hey, man, Caleb's 2% bond looked really good a couple of years ago, but now I can go across the street and I can get 3%. Well, 3%, that's a lot better in the grand scheme of things, right? Yeah. I I mean, a third
0: better, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yeah, I I think the math works out. That's
1: a lot. Okay. So let's say you, you come to Caleb and you say, I, I, I want to take that bond out, right? And I want to go I want to go give it to Joe. I say, hey, man, I, that bond is yours. You got to find somebody to buy it off of you. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can also go to Joe and get that 3% bond, or I've got the option to buy your 2% bond, what am I going to give you? Am I going to give you your $10,000 back?
0: No. Probably you're, not. You're going to buy it at a discount probably a pretty hefty
1: discount, right? Yeah. So let's not discount the fact that buying bonds at historically low rates in, a, in an environment where interest rates are probably going to go up. I mean, it's hard to imagine them going down. Uh, the real question is, when do they go up and buy how much, right? So another reason that someone, someone who's 36 years old...
0: <laughs> <laughs> this goes for somebody that's 60 years old, it's too, It's true, though.
1: but let's say... but. You know, I, I, this modern portfolio theory, this, mm-hmm. this idea that you're 36, you should have 36 in bonds. Well, I'm not touching this money for 30 years, Jason. Right. Why do I care? Why would I take that? That Honestly, the volatility in the bonds, we talk about volatility and we, we equate that to something that happens in a stock portfolio, but not bonds. For the return that we're getting on our bonds, is it worth the risk? Probably not, especially if we're not going to touch that money for 30 years, right? Why why mm. wouldn't I just own stocks? Spoiler alert, folks. I don't own a bond. I'm not even sniffing a bond right now.
0: Right. And most of the advice I'm giving to folks that aren't going to touch any of the money that's invested for more than five or 10 years is to not sniff any bonds. Just ride those ups and downs yeah. because we've got we've got the time horizon to make up for it.
1: So we're going back to risk tolerance. What, what do you think risk tolerance is a product of?
0: So in our industry, when an advisor talks to you about risk tolerance, it's mostly a uh, CYA, uh-huh. cover your Assets. self kind of d- discussion. And, and I frankly think it's cowardly. There's all sorts of uh, software out there that discusses what your risk tolerance is. How will you feel if your account goes up X but down X? You just said something there, though. How do I feel? right and and I so you said fear and mm-hmm. feel, yeah,
1: things that, in my opinion, should not go along with investing,
0: they absolutely shouldn't. The worst decisions that are made in investing have to do with fear and greed instead of and feelings, and, well, those are both feelings, yeah, and so yeah, <laughs> your feelings are are messed up, and especially that especially comes out in investing because you're going to make some irrational decisions, so it doesn't matter what you feel like. Yes. Sometimes your portfolio is going to drop. If you are invested 100% in equities and we have a great recession again, you might drop 40% and that's going to feel bad. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you should get out. If your time horizon is longer than that, if you can wait, the, the data says that within a few years, you're going to be recovered. And with a, within a few more years after that, You're going to be above where you were before.
1: Yeah. And you're saying a few years that you still don't need the money. Exactly. (laughs) Or can't take the money without penalties and taxes and all the things that go along with that. Right.
0: I always tell people that the worst worst case scenario with investing your money is that you need it at exactly the wrong time. So if you're putting this money in a long-term investment and you're going to come back to me two years from now and say, I need this for a down payment for a house and I didn't know about it and the market sells off like crazy right then, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, but that's not usually the case when we're investing for retirement. And Whether you're 60 or 30, you need that money to last a while. Any of the short-term money you should have a plan for, and I just don't think it should be invested if it's within five years.
1: I agree. Don't bring emotions into the conversation. Don't even make it something that is, uh, yeah, this may be my two- to three-year money. Well, leave it in the bank account. I know it sucks. But in my opinion, that should really cause you to think about how much you have in your bank account and why. Right. You know, is that money earmarked for a new car, a new roof, uh, something like that? Right. And and no more <laughs> above it. and beyond what you need for those expected expenses that are coming up. Look, let's let's not mince words. You're getting beat up by inflation.
0: Yeah, it's getting you.
1: I I think taking feelings and taking emotion out of it is the big thing. I, I you know we talk about uh, we talk about this in other areas of life. Uh, our emotions lead us wrong all the time, but there's something called truth that doesn't change, right? So, I, I guess in this, uh, in, in this example, I'm taking the numbers and the averages and looking at what the market has shown us for near 100 years and saying, This is the truth. This is how I feel. Do I need to adjust how I feel or do I need to adjust the truth? Well, you, you don't adjust the truth, the numbers are the numbers for a reason. Yep. Sounds like I need to adjust how I feel about it or maybe stop worrying about
0: it. So that's much. right. And that's why there's study after study that shows that people that are in the industry are invested way more aggressively than people that are not. And that's just really a knowledge gap.
1: Yeah. So that old idea of, you know, basically working out of all risk by the time you get to retirement is bunk and, in my opinion, a recipe for uh, disaster in retirement. So yeah. when we have. Bonds and treasuries and, and all that kind of stuff, not earning anything. Look, look, look. I, I just want to. I know we're running low on time here, but I I, I want to think about this a little bit and maybe make it practical for folks. Okay, so we're worried about running out of money in retirement. Every survey out there shows that that's what retirees are most worried about. That's why they get more conservative when they get closer to right. They don't want a two thousand eight two thousand nine situation where forty percent of their value is gone and then they need the money. A fair fair statement. Yeah. What what do you think most folks' biggest expenses in retirement? Healthcare. Absolutely. Hands down, right? So let's talk about, we've talked about inflation a little bit. And let's just go back over 30 years, okay? And looking at numbers, these are, depending on who you look at, you know, they might vary a little bit. But CPI, so a key indicator of inflation over the last 30 years is up 98.1%. So basically saying inflation over the last 38 years or 30 years, I'm sorry, is up 98%, okay? Jason, what do you think medical care uh, costs have gone up over that same amount of time? It
0: feels like a million percent.
1: Okay, well, double almost, uh, 193%. Hospital services and care, in hospital care. This one's going to knock your socks off, 417% over that same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Prescription uh, drugs, about 193%. Basically, what we're saying is doubling inflation for healthcare at the minimum, right? So we just talked about inflation averaging 2.9%. We talked about averages of uh, different asset classes like stocks, bonds, treasuries. And and we're talking about your biggest expense in retirement averaging double inflation. You're not going to make it on CDs. You're not going to make it on corporate bonds and municipal bonds, right? I, I mean... Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but we're in a, a situation where we've got to look at more risk probably for the same amount of returns that we're used to.
0: Yeah. And that's why the basic 60-40 portfolio really doesn't work anymore. Agreed. Good to have you back, friend. Thanks. I woke <laughs> up.
1: <laughs> so Jason, we talked about a lot of really interesting stuff today. Why don't we go ahead and distill it down for our listeners?
0: It's 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 tough for me to distill this down. I think it was a lot today. Yeah. I want the basic takeaway to be for our listeners that... The traditional, conventional wisdom about getting less and less risky the older you get doesn't necessarily work anymore, and that's that's the basics of it.
1: Yeah, and I, I usually summarize this when I talk to folks uh, in this way. Well, this all depends on how long you want to be retired. <laughs> yeah. So to back that up again, I'll recap something we talked about earlier in the episode. A lot of this modern portfolio theory is based off of. Annual returns going way, way back, and we sure as heck use averages, don't we, Jason? But uh, I'll recap. So, stocks since 1925 have averaged 10.2 percent annualized. Okay, I yeah. can get behind that.
0: Beat that since
1: 09. Well, bonds 6.1 percent. We're not sniffing not that. Even We're close. not even close, man. No. Treasuries 5.2 percent. Give me a break. Yeah, the government's Maybe not paying us. Maybe in 20 years from now. Yeah, that's bad. In inflation, well, that's been pretty steady. We took a break, but it's back 2.9%. Yeah. So these are reasons why we can't rely on that old 60 40 portfolio anymore.
0: That's absolutely right, my friend. Don't do it. And if somebody tells you that you need to be more conservative, I think you should be concerned. Yeah. Unless you know. you're invested like 100% in, you know, <laughs> digital currency. Sure. Or, I don't know, like rare oh, NFTs. NFTs. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Are you? People are going to look back and be like, "Why did I spend three hundred thousand dollars on a digital picture of a monkey?" Everybody wanted one at the time. Well, because it was the funny money
1: era. That's what we'll say. <laughs> one last thing I'll say, and this is I'm quoting a book that I've never read. I hate to do that, but uh, the the title's compelling. Okay, and I just look at it like this: What got you here won't get you there.
0: I don't think it's quoting a book if you're just quoting the title.
1: Well, it's somewhere in the book, I'm sure. But oh, I bet it is.
0: But it's a good title. And I, you know what? You don't even have to read the
1: book. Yeah, well, just because it's worked in the past doesn't mean that it's always going to be applicable going forward. We have to be able to move. We rely on statistics and averages and things like that when we do portfolio management. L- looking at these numbers, until we get closer to that average, we have to change our thinking. So good stuff, Jason. It's time for our next segment, which is... Questions.
0: Straight up.
1: All right, Jason, we have a question from Jane, and she asks, what is the difference between a broker and a registered investment advisor?
0: This is a question that you don't usually get from people because it's kind of like inside baseball industry stuff. Yeah,
1: somebody's done some research going in.
0: And in Jane's case, she had been talking to financial advisors and hearing their spiels. And she was with her mom and she heard their spiel. She heard my spiel and she heard some other ones. So she asked, what's the difference? And I said, I cannot believe you asked. I'm so excited to answer. Basically, uh, a broker is someone that gets paid on commission. Think about think about a real estate broker, somebody that's brokering a transaction. They're getting a commission usually. They get paid on the transaction. Uh, a registered investment advisor is fee only. They get no commissions they only get paid on fees, whether that's hourly fees, whether it's per engagement, uh, monthly retainer, or assets under management, and that sort of thing. And there's all sorts of hybrids in between these. Sometimes a firm is a registered investment advisor as well as a broker, and they're fee based, mm-hmm. but they're not fee only. So that's the difference. It doesn't, it, you know, nothing. Nobody's evil, but it does put conflicts of well, interest. Well, some out people there. are evil. Oh, yeah I mean they're not evil because of this
1: yeah if you want to be evil you could do it as a broker or as a registered investment yeah advisor. We've, we've but talked it's about maybe a little market. harder to do it as a registered investment
0: advisor it's definitely extra wrong <laughs> that that's what I would say uh, we've we've operated as both throughout our careers and I can tell you I'm very much in favor of the registered investment advisor path it, it's very
1: transparent from a fee yeah. standpoint and uh, you know I, I explained it this way we're in the same boat. We want the same thing, your values to go up, because you make more, we make more. If you make less, we took a pay cut for doing the same amount of work. Nobody wants that.
0: (laughs) That's pretty simple to understand. But
1: it's transparent. Yeah, man. Hopefully that answers the question. We do have a couple new members our speakeasy
0: yes we do i'm psyched out of my mind about them yeah these are great new members these are big gets for the speakeasy <laughs> thank you for joining jake tracy and bernie george i'm so happy to see your faces in this speakeasy welcome to the speakeasy i know names. that uh they'll that be they'll be contributors
1: definitely they don't be better forward. be
0: <laughs> i mean thank you for joining i mean thank you <laughs>
1: All right, Jason, great show, uh, but I think it's that time. So thanks for having a drink with us this week, folks. It's time to close out the tab. If you have a question or a topic that you want addressed on the Old Fashioned Finance podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's BlueJFG.com and produced by Podesterry Studios. We've been your hosts, Jason and Caleb. Five, four, three, two, one. Cheers! Cheers.
0: Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay unless otherwise specifically cited